history is full of the good, bad, and everything in between. But in the end, these are our stories. Today's episode will cover West Virginia mining wars, the United Mine Workers Union, and a controversial detective agency. So pull up a chair and join your host Jacob for a brand new episode of The History Book. Welcome to a new episode of The History Book. As the introduction said, today we'll be discussing the Battle of Blair Mountain and the mining wars of West Virginia. To begin, we'll talk about the background leading up to the battle and the aftermath of the West Virginia mountains. And to get a better understanding of what's going into the conflict, we need to understand two important groups. Those groups are the United Mine Workers Union and the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency. The United Mine Workers Union, or UMW, which will be known now throughout the episode, were formed from a collaboration with the National Progressive Union of Miners and the Knights of Labor in 1890. By the 1910s, working conditions in the Paint Creek, West Virginia mines and Kanawha County had gotten so bad that they went on strike for new contracts on April 18, 1912. In response, the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency was brought in to break the strike, and of course, shots were fired. Nearby Cabin Creek Mine joined the strike when they heard that the agency had been brought in. The strike ended when newly elected Governor Henry Hatfield gave the striking miners the ultimatum of accepting your contracts or be deported from the state. Paint Creek accepted immediately, but Cabin Creek resisted till the end of July 1913. Now. Even with the Hatfield contracts and some gains being made in the southern West Virginia coal mines across Mingo County and other counties, there were still restrictions on these miners from joining any unions, and any miners that joined the union would be terminated. Since most of these mining families lived in mine-controlled towns, termination meant eviction and homelessness. Despite this, new United Mine Workers president were determined to make more ends in West Virginia and convinced 3,000 mine workers to join the UMW. Not surprisingly, each of these miners were unceremoniously fired. In order to evict the men, the families, and the men from their homes, the mines hired the Lee and Albert Feltz-owned Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency. Before we go any further into the violence here, we need to talk about the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency. As I said, the agency was founded by William Gibbon Baldwin in the early 1890s, along with lawyer Thomas Lafayette Feltz, who could provide legal advice from his firm. Originally, the agency provided mostly investigation services for the Norfolk and Western Railroad, by the early 1900s, the agency had made a reputation by the 1910s as railroad agents, but since railroad crimes and bandits had dramatically decreased and the agency transitioned into sh- strike breakers. By the time of the Mingo County coal strikes, the Baldwin Feltz Agency had made their name known in West Virginia, especially with the Attorney General saying, quote, there are the, they are the two most feared and hated men in the mountains, end quote. Back in Mingo County, on May 19, 1920, Lee Feltz and others showed up in Matwan, West Virginia, 
and met with Albert Feltz, brother, both the brothers of Thomas Feltz, the original founder of the agency. Each of them tried to bribe the mayor, Cable Testerman, to allow the agency to position machine guns on the roofs in town. However, Testerman still refused. Despite this, the Baldwin Feltz detectives entered the mining town and forced a woman and her children to leave their home in the rain when her husband wasn't even home. This quickly spread to the town where Chief Sid Hatfield and a group of Myers met with the detectives in town. Hatfield informed the men that they were under arrest, to which Albert Feltz replied with his own warrant for Hatfield's arrest. Hatfield slowly backed into a storefront and Mayor Testman showed up to find out what the issue was. Testerman took Felt's warrant and realized it was bogus. And soon enough, shots started to fly. Chief Hatfield shot Albert Feltz, who along with his brother Lee and Mayor Testerman both passed away. This incident is famously known as the Matewan Massacre and would make national news, making Sid Hatfield a national legend. Random shootouts would play throughout the Tug River Valley and Mingo County throughout 1920. On January 26, 1920, the trial of Sid Hatfield began. During this time, 80% of the mines had reopened with imported replacements and X-Strikers. While Chief Hatfield was acquitted of the crime, violence still continued to plague the Tug River Valley when Union miners used guerrilla tactics and sabotage against the non-Union miners and strikebreakers. When miners were arrested for even the smallest infraction, while the officers under the mine's control were seen as quite invincible. This entire violent situation was compacted when Chief Hatfield arrived in McDowell County on August 1, 1921. Hatfield was on trial for helping to blow up a coal tipple. He had traveled with his wife and Ed Chambers along with his wife. All four were met by Baldwin Feltz agents who opened fire at them. Hatfield was killed instantly and Ed Chambers was shot multiple times and fell down the stairs. Despite the pleas of his wife Sally, the agents went down the stairs and shot Ed point-blank in the head. Word quickly spread across West Virginia mines and each side began to boast their weapon stockpiles. On the Little Coal River in Logan County, violence once again exploded, leading Sheriff John Don Chafin to send Logan County troopers into the area. These troopers were stopped and disarmed by the local miners who sent the troopers running back home. Six days after the death of Hatfield on August 7th, leaders of the United Mine Workers, Frank Kinney and Fred Mooney, called for a rally in Charleston, West Virginia, to make demands from Governor Ephraim Morgan. Now, when the miners arrived in Charleston, Governor Morgan rejected each of their demands, which quite made the, the rally of miners quite restless. The miners called for a march to Mingo County to free combined miners and end martial law organizing the county and taking it away from the mining company. That obstacle was quite daunting as one large imposing force stood in their way, that of Blair Mountain. Right now we're going to take a brief break and when we come back we'll talk about the violence that arrested and erupted across the West Virginia mountainsides during the Battle of Blair Mountain. Hello everyone, this is Jacob, the host of The History Book, here to remind you that you can find The History Book on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on our website, www.thehistorybook20.wixsite.com backslash thehistorybook. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back to the show. As we were speaking, 
The mining rally had largely been rejected by Governor Morgan and had made a decision to march on Logan County and to free the county from the mines. On August 7, 1921, Mary Harris, also known as Mother Jones, called on the miners to stop this march and return home as she very much foresaw the bloodshed that was ahead. Despite her pleas, the miners felt lied to by the governor, and by August 24th, 13,000 miners had gathered and began to march towards Logan County. While this was happening, miners near St. Albans, West Virginia, had commandeered a CNO freight train and renamed it the Blue Steel Special and tried to bring up miners from Danville and Boone County, West Virginia. At this point, Frank Keeney and Fred Mooney fleed to Ohio and the outspoken and fiery Bill Blizzard took up the mantle of leader of the march. Sheriff Chafin had set up defensive positions across Blair Mountain and awaited these miners. The first skirmishes broke out on the 25th, with the majority of the miners still being around 15 miles from Blair Mountain. On the 26th, President Warren G. Harding issued a warning to the miners that if they did not stop, he would send in federal troops and Army MB-1 bombers. With this warning, the miners met in Madison, the seat of Boone County, and decided to go home. But Sheriff Chapin would not be denied his battle to shut down unionization of the mine of the mines in southern West Virginia. Rumors spread that Sheriff Chapin had shot Union sympathizers in the town north of Blair Mountain, and the miners turned back to Blair Mountain almost immediately. August 29th saw the battle break out in earnest. The miners outnumbered Sheriff Chapin, but his private army had the high ground and better weapons, with private planes dropping poisonous gases and bombs left over from World War I. On August 30th, Governor Morin, Morgan appointed Colonel William Earbanks of the West Virginia National Guard to take command of the government and volunteers confronting the miners. All this while General Billy Mitchell gave orders for Army bombers to keep surveillance over the conflict. Gun battles continued to break out with at least 30 deaths reported from Chapin's troops and about 50 to 100 miners dying. At one point, the miners almost broke to the city of Logan and had access to the ununionized counties of Logan and Mingo. Federal troops arrived on September 2nd, but many of the miners were unwilling to fire on them as they themselves were veterans as well. Bill Blizzard sent word for the miners to head home, and many guns were heading strategically across the mountainside with the fear of arrest looming over them. At the end of the battle, 985 miners were indicted for murder, conspiracy to commit murder, accessory to murder, and treason against the state of West Virginia. Bill Blizzard would later be acquitted when an unexploded bomb was used for evidence showing the government and company's brutality. Right now, we're going to take a short, brief ad break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the legacy of Blair Mountain. Thank you for staying tuned through that brief ad break. As we were saying, we need to talk about the legacy of Blair Mountain, especially on the West Virginia mountainsides. Now, after the battle, this was clearly an overwhelming victory for the mining companies. UMW membership plummets more than 50,000 and would continue to plummet almost 10,000 over the next several years. However, there would be small victories for the unionization in West Virginia, as with the Neil. New Deal and President Franklin Roosevelt's help, 
they would fully organize West Virginia into Union mines. But, unfortunately, most of these states would be forced to drop the unions as states such as West Virginia, Kentucky, and even, even in Pennsylvania, the Union was forced out because of the Great Depression and because of World War I, collapsing the coal industry, with the only state being able to still remain largely unionized being Illinois. Now, as for the site of the Battle of Blair Mountain, it was named to the National Register of Historical Places in 2009. However, due to some very, very small clerical errors in the site, it was removed shortly after. Coal companies held rights to blast on Blair Mountain, and when the case to keep the, and won a case to keep these rights. But the U.S. Court of Appeals out of the District of Columbia overruled it, sending the case back down. And in some happy news, on June 27, 2018, the Battle of Blair Mountain was once again placed on the National Register of Historical Places when the NH NRPH set out a statement calling the original removal of the place as both erroneous and just plainly a mistake. As of now, there is a sign on the Battle of Blair Mountain that I myself have actually been to. It's quite small and you would miss it if you weren't looking. So right now we're going to take a little bit of a, just a minute and then when we come back you'll hear the wrap up of the episode letting you know what's coming next and what and when to be expecting the next episode of the history book. As I was saying, thank you for staying tuned and listening to this brand new episode of the history book covering the Battle of Butter Mountain and one of my adoptive homes, West Virginia. As I said at the end of the legacy section there, our next episode will be on April 7th. And as I've said in the last couple episodes here, April will be Civil War History Month as every episode will cover some aspect and the topic of the Civil War. I actually have the entire month planned out now, but for now, I'll just let you know that on April 7th at 10 a.m. and that Wednesday, please be expecting an episode on Appomattox and the surrender of Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia. As always, this has been Jacob with the History Book. Thanks for listening.